Lord, we ask, would you send forth your Holy Spirit um, upon us right now during this time? We thank you, Lord, for your written word, and we thank you, Lord, for the empty tomb. And as we go to the empty tomb today through your written word, would you um, make your word manifest in our midst? Would you give us eyes to see Jesus as he is in all his glory? <laughs> we thank you for all that you've done for us in and through him, um, and we ask this in his name. Amen. Amen. So we've been, we've been in the Passion Narrative in John's Gospel for a couple of weeks now, uh, more like almost a, a little over a month. We were in chapter 18 and chapter 19. Do you remember we had tarried in the upper room for five long chapters where we got to hear Jesus giving his, basically like his final will and testament or his um, last words of love to impart to his disciples before being arrested that night before his death. And then we saw we went out from chapter 17, and there in chapter 18, we had been doing a lot of, hearing a lot of talking and sitting, and then suddenly in chapter 18 begins, and it's all action, and it's all action right up through the end of the book. Um, So we have um, chapter 18, we see Jesus um, arrested in Gethsemane, tried um, before Annas and then Caiaphas, then taken to Pontius Pilate, um, mocked and beaten, judged by Pilate, and then um, delivered over to, um, to the soldiers to be crucified. And then we see him there reigning as king, uh, king of the Jews, but king of more than just the Jews, from there on the cross, as though the cross itself were a kind of throne. Um, and uh, John has him in majesty, almost, on the cross. Um, we don't hear any description of his <coughs> agony the way we, embell- we we always imagine and talk about his um, suffering and anguish on the cross. John and the other gospel writers are very terse about the actual crucifixion. Um, in one word, John says, and, Je- and there they crucified Jesus, and that's it. But you hear Jesus' words from the cross. You see the people around him. Um, almost as though, and I likened it to the Old Testament prophets, the way the Old Testament prophets, when they have a theophany or a vision of God, um, they can't quite describe what the one on the throne looks like. They can describe the rainbows and the thunder and the lightning and everything around them and the crystal sea like in the Revelation um, to St. John, Um, but they can't quite see because of the glory and the majesty. They can't quite see the one who sits on the throne. And in some ways, in John's Gospel, it's almost like that with the cross. We don't see Jesus. Thank goodness we have all of these wonderful masterpieces of Western art where we have um, the cross, this Jesus displayed on the cross. And yet, in, <coughs> in the scriptures, you, you get sort of a, an idea of what's going on around them. And that informs um, Jesus. It helps us understand who Jesus is and what this means, that he would die for us on a cross. Um, and so in that, then we also see him buried with a kingly burial, um, a burial fit for one who has um, truly given the utmost. And that's one of the beautiful things about kingship, that God's own kingship and lordship is not something he lords over us, but rather he is a humble king. He is the one who has humbled himself to die for our sins on the cross. Um, Do you think possibly yeah. it could be... When he doesn't talk about seeing the face, that it goes back to the Old Testament of not looking on the face of God. Yeah, I actually do. I actually do. We don't, it, it, and that's one of the reasons why I love the Passion 
uh, uh, you know, Mel Gibson's Jesus film about, um, but I also, I don't know about you, but when I saw it in the theater, I just had to close my eyes mm-hmm. at some points. It was too violent for mm-hmm. me. It was too hard mm-hmm. to see someone representing the Lord that I love, um, who I know went through this all for my sake. It's so hard to see it, mm-hmm. it, it for two and a half hours and to see all of his anguish. It's too much. I remembered sitting in the theater and praying and thinking, Oh, Jesus, you know how much I love you. I can't watch. I can't watch them do this to you. And um, in some ways, that is different than what we get in the gospel accounts. Again, the gospels, all four gospels, when it comes to the crucifixion, they don't need to describe what crucifixion is like. They all knew in the first century what it was like, and we can learn about it. Um, but So they don't linger on Jesus' agony. They just go, it, but, um, but there is something unspeakably um, beautiful about the way his love is made manifest for us. Thank you, Mary Kay. Any other thoughts or questions in reflection upon that? When when it says Jesus is as good shepherd and judge, and he judges while he's on the cross. He does, yeah. He judges the man and says you will be in paradise. Yes. He does. In Luke's gospel, we hear him say that to the thief. He does right there. And, uh, and there is the mercy. He yes. is doling out mercy from the cross, which is what he does for us as well. We are like that thief crucified on one side of Jesus who recognize, when, we, when we recognize our guilt and say, I'm guilty. Lord, have mercy. And the Lord's property is always to have mercy, as it says in the prayer of humble access. Um, it's so beautiful. And I put on your sheet, now on your handout, I put Jesus as good shepherd, king, oh, sorry, good shepherd, judge, king, and true Passover lamb. And I put that in the order in which we see that in chapter 18, that in the garden, remember, he, um, in fulfillment of the verse about the good shepherd laying down his life for the sheep, Jesus says, take me, don't take them. Um, let my disciples go. Um, there before Pontius Pilate, it would appear as though Pontius Pilate is judging Jesus, and yet Pilate will be judged based on the way he decides about Jesus and what he believes about Jesus, as will each one of us. Um, and then on the cross, he is so clearly um, shown to be king, enthroned high above. And John also draws attention to the fact that Jesus is the true Passover lamb. He does that by adding in two very uh, two details. One super small that you would almost look over, which is that when Jesus says he thirsts, they reach up with the sponge full of sour wine, which the other Gospels tell us about. But John lets us know it was hyssop. It was a hyssop branch. And the hyssop branch um, was so important in the Passover feast and celebration because Exodus 12 tells us that hyssop was used to, um, to mark the door, door frames of the Israelites' houses with the blood of the Passover lamb so that, the, um, so that death would pass over and they would be preserved and saved from judgment. Um, so Jesus is the true Passover lamb. He is also spotless. And we see that in the way that um, the Passover lamb had to be a lamb without defect, entirely without defect, the very best of the flock. And we see that, um, and John draws attention to that in the way that Jesus' bones, not one of his bones, were broken on the cross, even though they tried to speed up the death of the two criminals on either side of him. Um, he was not, none of, none of the bones of his body were broken, even in, in the agony that he endured. And John is pointing towards that as a witness, 
to who he is and then to the blood and the water that flow from Jesus' side from the cross as a witness to who he is and how eternal life comes through him, through faith in him and through receiving um, his death for us. We receive, um, we receive atonement of our sins, the blood that covers us, and then um, washing and regeneration, the water that we pass through, the water of baptism, both come directly from this um, moment, from the moment of Jesus' death on the cross. Any more thoughts about that before we move on to today's chapter and looking at the resurrection? He's buried with the um, honor due a king. Remember that um, Nicodemus brings 70 pounds worth of spices, which would be enough. That would be what you would bury a king with. Um, so John is showing us his kingly burial. Um, okay, we're well moving on to chapter 20. We're going to start, we're going to read verses 1 through 18 in chapter 20, and then we'll start looking at, we'll look at a little bit of the um, other gospel accounts and just see if we can't for a few minutes see what might be different. If you remember, we won't read all the other gospel accounts, but if there's something that you remember that you don't see in John's account, um, just make a little note for yourself, and we'll, we'll, we'll make a list on the board so everyone can see all the different ones. All together, we'll be the Nancy Drews. We'll each take a look at it. <laughs> now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Peter therefore went out, and the other disciples went down to the tomb. So they both ran together, and the other disciples outran Peter and came to the tomb. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there that did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom do you see? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, it's okay. Rabboni? Okay, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Cohen said to my brother and tell him, 
I am returning to my Father, and your Father, to my God, and your God. Mary Magdalene went and said to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Any thoughts? Anything you notice? I don't understand. I mean, Mary had been with Jesus so long, and yet yeah. she didn't recognize his voice. What? Well, she recognized his voice. She didn't recognize his body, right? It's when he says Mary that she realizes it's him. Oh, okay. But she's well, standing there crying, 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 and he's standing right in front of her. She, she doesn't recognize him. But then he says, woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? And she's still... Uh, she that's says, a really good point, Gordon. You're says, right. Sir, if you had carried him uh-huh. away, she, you know... We'll talk some more about that too in a minute. We'll, we'll get to that and we'll, we'll look at that in some depth today. Um, is there anything you think, well, didn't this happen? Didn't that happen? And it's not in, in this gospel that you remember from the other gospels, the other times you've heard it. We, we looked at Matthew's gospel when, during church on Sunday. Um, any thoughts? About this? The yeah, what about the angel, Sharon? Do you remember? He has a very little bit about the angel, but they don't play, they're not super dazzling, they're not super ta da! You just see, he does say that there are two angels. He says that Mary sees the two angels. Um, let's see, so we're looking at verse 12, thank you. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they talk to her, but she doesn't have this moment of, oh my goodness, there are two angels talking to me, which some of the other gospel writers have that. In Matthew's gospel, well, Matthew, first of all, says that Mary and another Mary go to the tomb and that, um, and that they're at the tomb, then suddenly, boom, an angel descends and rolls back the tomb. So Matthew has the actual, or rolls back the stone. Matthew has the stone rolled back by an angel in front of them, there's an earthquake. Mm-hmm. Do you remember hearing that on Sunday? Yes. Yeah, earthquake, stone is rolled back in front of them. It's very dramatic and that there are guards. That's how we find out that there are guards. Yeah, the guards just fall down. <laughs> is that when the veil is torn? The veil is torn upon Jesus' death in Matthew and in Mark. Um, and there's another earthquake there. So it seems to be two different earthquakes, one on Good Friday and one on Easter Sunday at dawn. Um, we know that it's very early in the morning. John is the one who tells us that it's dark when Mary goes there. The others say it was very early. John just has Mary Magdalene. Did you notice that? Mm-hmm. Where are the other women? Aren't there other women in the other accounts? Do you remember that? There are other women? There, are, there is the other Mary. Matthew has the other Mary. Luke has, um, he has Mary, the mother of James. 
There are a lot of Marys. It's a really popular name. And I can't remember which one has which, but Mark also has Mary James's mother. They might have been. Um, and Mark also, one of them has Salome. Another one has Joanna. So we have a whole different group of people here. And there are different women, too, that are talked about at the, at the um, crucifixion. Um, Mary, but what do you notice? Who is at the crucifixion? at the foot of the cross in all the Gospels, who's not here, his mother. Where's his mom? We don't know where his mom is, why she isn't coming to anoint his body again the way um, the, way the other women are. But all, what's that? What are you finding, Betsy? Well, why do I think there were three Marys there? Well, there are, because there are lots of Marys, period. There's Mary Magdalene, Mary Bethany, <coughs> Mary, the mother of Jesus, that's three right there. Mary, this Mary, Mary, the mother of James. There's another Mary that they say, I think this is in one of the crucifixion accounts, and my memory is failing me on this, but that it, Mary, the mother of Joseph, who would have been another one. Um, there are just lots of, one of the other things that one, one, of the, one of the commentators that I like to read tells is he says that in this day and age, there were no last names. So how are you going to tell the difference between all these Marys? Well, sometimes... Just to make matters more complicated, people would have two names. So some might be, oh, Mary's my name, and Joanna. <laughs> I have two names. And so we're not always clear on who everyone is. But it does say about Salome. We think that Salome, who is, I think Salome is, what is it? maybe Salome is only at the cross. Salome appears to have been the mother of the sons of Zebedee, so um, James and John. Um, <coughs> So it might be that we're not sure who all the other women are, but the one through line, the one woman who's there in all four Gospels, Mary Magdalene. Um, what else do you notice that's different that you think, well, what, okay, where is this part of the story that... Um, is there anything else that you noticed? It's okay if there isn't. I'll give you one. Um, Matthew and Mark tell the women to tell the disciples and then even Matthew tells has Jesus telling the women to tell the disciples, the male disciples go on to Galilee go to Galilee, you'll see Jesus there go on to Galilee and in John's gospel we don't hear that They're not we don't hear that being said it was probably said as well but what we do see is we see the disciples actually going to Galilee we're going to see that in chapter 21 so it's just interesting um also, in Matthew's Gospel, um, only in Matthew's Gospel, not in Mark or Luke, we have um, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary in Matthew's Gospel actually see Jesus. So that's the only other time where we have the women actually seeing Jesus. Mark doesn't mention that, nor does Luke. They see the risen Lord. <laughs> Any other thoughts or things? Um, oh, I'll give you one more. Ooh, 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 sorry. Luke. Luke has, well, what men does John tell us about in this first part of chapter 20? Yeah, we have Peter and the beloved disciple running 
to the tomb. We th- I think it's John. I really do think it's John. Luke doesn't tell us about the beloved disciple. He just tells us that Peter ran to the tomb and saw the empty tomb and was amazed. But he doesn't tell us about John. So it might be that John is saying, no, it's, yes, Peter, but Peter and me. I'm going to tell you some other things that only John tells us. Only John tells us it was dark. Only John, tell, uh, only John really highlights Mary Magdalene seeing Jesus. Even though M- Matthew talks about it, he, John goes into more detail. Um, we have, in John's Gospel, we have Mary coming twice to the tomb. She goes once, she goes back and tells the men, she goes back to the tomb with the men. And then she sees Jesus. Um, what else? In John's Gospel, we have um, we have a word about the linen cloth. The linen cloths are talked about in some of the other Gospels, but we find out from John that there are two cloths. There's a head cloth and a body cloth, or body strips that were wrapped around his body. Um, let's see. Anything else? Luke tells us this too, but I think it's so interesting. Do you see how many times they say, um, do you see anything repeated in verse, um, let's see, wait, 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 verse 5, and also in verse 11? Verse 5 is talking about Peter, and stooping to look in, he (coughs) saw the linen cloth lying there. And then Mary, in verse 11, stood outside weeping, um, weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. Isn't that interesting? We find out, oh, the t- you had to get down to really look in there. I just find those details so interesting because they help create the picture. Uh, they're getting really down in there to go look and see what, what's inside the tomb. The tomb must have had a low lintel. Which, I love this. I love that that detail is included because it means someone was actually there. John was actually there. He remembers having to bend his head over to look in. It was awkward. You wouldn't forget that, would you? Well, all of this is just to make one big giant point, which is that a lot of people who would like to say that the resurrection did not happen, that the resurrection of Jesus was something that the disciples invented, or something that the disciples wanted to believe, something that they created in their own minds, all of those who discredit the bodily resurrection of Jesus, look at these resurrection accounts, and and people are very quick to say, well, see, they can't get their story straight. They don't know what happened. They were confused. didn't actually happen. But one of the things that they all talk about is the empty, the tomb was empty, And then people started seeing Jesus in the flesh. The tomb was empty. And the women saw the empty tomb, and so did some of the men. And the stories are not exactly the same. If someone is being um, investigated by by the police for something, and they talk to a whole host of people who were at an event, say there was a crime committed, and they talk to all the different eyewitnesses of the crime, what, is, what do you think the police are going to think if they get the exact same word-for-word, detail-for-detail story from every single person? 
Well, first of all, then there would be no detective novels ever. But what if they covered the made up? Yeah. And they 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 collaborated. They got together and they said, okay, say this, and then say this, and then you're gonna say this, and then this happens. We're gonna get our stories straight, right? So there's no figuring us out. That is not at all what we have in the Gospels. We don't have, uh, let's all get together and get our stories straight because we're going to really pull one over on people. No, it really happened. It's one of those little bits of evidence that just shows us this really happened. Jesus really rose from the dead. He, um, the tomb was empty. And the tomb, I love in Matthew's Gospel too, how the stone is rolled away. Well, the stone is rolled away. Do you think the stone is rolled away to get Jesus out? Does he need that to get out of the tomb? No, he was already gone. The stone is rolled away from the tomb so that the women can be brought in to see, come and see this empty tomb. Look how empty it is. He is not here. He is risen. So that's good news for us. Um, We're going to look into a little more detail into what John is actually telling us in his gospel. I'd also like to just draw... um, what, did you, oh, what do you think that, what happened with the tomb and what, did it, what do you think it might have looked like? So, um, and kind of get the sequencing of what John is telling us is happening into order. Deborah, the yeah. angels mentioned in all of the Gospels. They are, but some of them say that they were like, like they looked like men. And some say that there's one angel, some say that there's two angels. And they tell us different things about what the angels say. Most of the angels say, come and look at where he lay. But in, in John's gospel, the angels are all, they're like, Mary, why are you weeping? They're engaging Mary where she is, which is really interesting. So they probably said all those different things um, and told them to go to Galilee, which is what they say in Matthew and Mark, too. Um, so if we have the tomb, so we think it was probably a tomb like, let's see if I can do it. So it would have been probably in a mountain or in a rock. And we think that there would have been a little track in front of the door, and the stone would have rolled in that track. <coughs> so it would have rolled this direction and then that direction in front. Maybe it would be more like this. It could be more like this. It's lower, so people are up here, and they got to look in. So here's Mary. Oh, let me give her a dress, right? Should I give her a dress? Mary. Um, Mary comes to anoint the body. She comes in, and then what happens? It's, it's empty, and then what does she do? She cries. She's always crying. She's, she cries. She's a very emotional girl. Yeah, she's, she's really upset. When, understandably so, she goes back. She talks to the men. Did you notice that? And then look at when she says it again. Do you see how I put it down as her refrain? She says it again in a few verses down. That when she repeats it, she says, I do not know where they have laid him. So we get this sense it's not just Mary at the tomb, and it's her little pronoun, that one little pronoun, shows us that John, yeah, yeah, there were lots of women there. We're zeroing in. We're focusing in on Mary Magdalene's experience of, of the 
resurrection. We're almost getting, we're getting John's eyewitness tale of the resurrection, and we're getting Mary's eyewitness tale of seeing the risen Jesus. Um, okay, so she comes back, she talks to the disciples. They don't believe her, most of them, but um, I'm going to give her tears, right? And then what happens? The two run. Peter gets off started first, and he runs to the tomb. Um, But what happens? John, or the beloved disciple, says, yeah, that's a good idea. I think I'll run too. I want to see what's going on. Let's go find out what happened. And the fear, Mary's fear, is that something worse has happened to Jesus. She doesn't realize yet that Jesus has risen from the dead. Her fear is that um, something worse than death has happened. And for them, that worse than death would be that someone stole the body of Jesus to do. She had witnessed so much. She had seen so much trauma and so many horrible things done to her Lord and her teacher. And the thought that now she would be prevented from um, loving him even in his death by anointing his body for burial, which was one of the one of the tasks that was assigned to women in that day. Women were responsible for um, for uh, preparing the dead for burial. And you think about it, and women were unclean anyway. So I almost wonder if that's why it was women's task, because w- women were so used to being unclean and uh, kind of cut off from the religious, whatever, participating in religious ceremonies and things like that. That one more one more count against them as far as uncleanness. It might have just made sense. If you're already disqualified, you might as well do something so that will allow other people to go and worship. So um, the, the women are really important um, with the burial and with the actual mourning. There were professional mourners who would cry at a, a funeral. And I think of that. This is not a little sniffle with one or two tears. This is a loud, keening wail. That weeping, um, and the Greek word for the weeping that she's said to be doing is loud crying out. She just, highly dramatic, highly loud, highly energetic. Okay, so she goes and she tells the disciples what's going on, what happens. Peter starts running, and John says, yeah, that's a good idea. I think I'll run too. But John outlaps him. He's a faster runner, maybe. So John gets there first, and he stoops too and looks in. Yeah, it's baby John, I guess, but he's trying to look in. Look in, and Peter gets there, and Peter goes right on in. It's so interesting because we see their personalities coming out again. Peter, always bold, wants to be first. He's at the head of the class. He's going to run and get there. Um, Even if he's slow, he's going to be the first one on the road. Um, And then uh, John holds back. John's a little more hesitant, not sure what to make out of it. Um, And Peter just is the first one in the tomb. Yeah, all right, I'm, I'm going in. I'm, uh, let's see what's going on. I'm going to take charge. Um, so John tells us that um, Peter went in, John, and then John goes in too. And um, they see the linen cloth lying there, the face cloth and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. How many of you have... Um, just a little tiny note on the cloth. Two things about the cloth. First thing, how many of you have ever served on altar guilt? You don't have to, yeah. Um, what, on the altar, on our, on our table at church, what goes, what are the two white cloths that are laid down flat? Do you know? Do you happen to remember the names of them? There's one. 
there, yeah, the one is the fair linen that goes all the way down and over the sides, and then the other one is called the corporal, and that goes right up close to the celebrant, um, and it has just the bread and the wine on it, and the cup and the and patent. Um, and the whole point, there's practical purpose for that, right? So we don't spill, and so that we, if we do spill, we can treat it with you know reverence and respect. Um, then, but the little cloth, I mean, if you spill on the fair linen, that's a real pain in the neck to launder and iron. But the little tiny cloth, if you spill on that, no problem. We can take care of that much more easily. It's very practical, but it's also symbolic. On the big cloth, does anybody notice what's on the big cloth? Have you ever noticed that there are... Um, yeah, and so there are four crosses on each one of the corners that will go on the table and one cross in the middle. Why do you think five crosses? Any thoughts about that? Yep, the five wounds of Jesus, one in each hand, one in each foot, and a spear wound in his side. And so we sort of understand, we, but even though both of those linens are totally practical, completely practical, Yet, when we're setting the table, and this was my experience when I served on altar guild, it was so beautiful for me to put out those linen cloths because I felt like the women at the tomb. Um, that there was the one cloth for Jesus' body. Then there was a second smaller cloth um, representing the cloth for his face. And so there's that. And I'm so I'm so tangible, and t- I love tactile things. I love seeing those five crosses on it and knowing these are for the five wounds of Jesus. Um, and it just increases my reverence and awe as as we prepare for worship and as we worship. And so there's that one that's beautiful, and that we would only know we only know about these two cloths from John. The other gospel writers don't tell us he was there. He looked in the tomb and he saw, oh yeah, there's one and then there's two. Two other things. Oh, oh no, it's fine. You know what? Mine is on too. I just realized I didn't better turn mine off. I'm glad that I'm glad it's on. So there are the two cloths and then, oh, I better speed up too. There are two cloths and um, the other thing is that the two cloths are not in disarray. They're folded. So, I mean, there are three possible scenarios, or four. I've heard some people say four possible scenarios. Um, Either, um, one, the disciples stole the body of Jesus, in which case, why bother to unwrap his body there? Two, that um, his enemies, or the grave robbers, stole the body of Jesus. Again, why bother to unwrap um, those linen cloths? If either of those things had happened, then the people who had done them would be in a hurry. So even if they were going to unwrap Jesus' body, they would not be neatly folded up, just lying there, um, peaceful and calm, as if nothing, um, nothing un- was amiss. And so then the third idea, some people say this, um, some people think, or there are some detractors who don't believe in the resurrection, who say, well, Jesus fainted. It was a swoon, and they didn't have medical practice then, so they thought he died, but he just fainted. And, he, and then he revived in the tomb. Well, how did he get the stone open? All of that. Right, 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 right. And the guards outside. How did that happen? But even so, if Jesus had woken up all wrapped up in these cloths, don't you think he would have flailed to get out of them? And there would also be 
the cloth the cloth would also be in disarray. The only thing that really could have happened was that his body must have just gone through the cloth, just like he would go through the doors in the upper room to see the disciples, just like he went through, was able to go through the tomb, the stone in front of the tomb itself. The cloths are neatly folded. They're calm. They're lying there. There's no disarray in this tomb. And I think that that's what, um, what causes belief on the part of Peter of John. Okay, so John sees, um, let's see, then the other disciple. We hear about the cloths in verse 7, and then in verse 8, John tells us, then the other disciple, I mean me, is what he's saying, but I don't really want to draw attention to myself or to my family. He never mentions his brother, nor does he mention his mother as being his mother in this gospel. Oh, yeah, then I... Got the t- I, got to, I got to the tube first. He doesn't want to tell us that. But I didn't go in. Then he goes in. And what does he tell us about what he saw and what he thought? It says, he saw and believed. He saw the cloth, the empty grave clothes, lying there calmly, not in disarray. And he believed. He believed logically the only logical option. Um, and yet did not understand. He saw it and believed, but did not yet understand, because as yet they did not understand the scripture, and that's verse 9. So John sees, believes, does not yet understand. What verse is that? I'm looking at verses um, 8 and 9. They didn't understand yet that the dead, that that Jesus would rise from the dead. Remember that Jesus explains that on the road to Emmaus with the other, um, with um, Clopas and the other disciple who's with him, who I think is his wife. Oh, so the other disciple is John. The other disciple is John, because we find out John never names himself in this gospel. He's telling us information that only he would have known if he was there at the tomb. He tells us. Um, uh, and we think that the beloved, the way, he, the why he keeps telling us that he's loved by Jesus is that maybe the, either he is um, so clear on how um, saved he is, really, that's possible. And then also, what also is possible is that his church, after his death, went back in, and in the next manuscript that they copied, they said the beloved disciple because he was beloved of them as their pastor and leader and the apostle who founded their church. He was beloved of them, and so they wrote in, just like we write on people's graves, beloved mother, beloved father. Um, so he, they wrote in beloved of John following his death. I think that's the most logical. I, I like that explanation. We don't really know um, fully. but So John sees, believes, does not understand yet. And I think they hadn't seen, when you look back at the Old Testament, you see the prophecies about the suffering servant in Isaiah, about resurrection and, uh, you know, Ezekiel 37 and Isaiah 25 and all of those little glimmers of there being a possible resurrection, bodily resurrection from the dead. 
even so, it, it was almost like, I kind of think of it, do you remember maybe 20 years ago they would have those strange like pictures that were not pictures that looked like white fuzz from your TV? all in one on one paper picture and you're supposed to stare at the two dots if you just stared at the two dots for long enough then a 3d picture would jump out at you and it was it was sort of an adjustment of the eyes and then you could see that's i always think of that when i think of how that spiritual sight happens how jesus opened their eyes to the scripture they've been looking at the scripture but they couldn't distinguish all these different prophecies and see what god's plan and his purpose was for the future yeah, exactly. He's been saying it all along, but that's like staring at those dots. You can stare and stare and stare and stare, and it's not until that moment that everything shifts. And so that's the moment that he, Jesus, brings about in their midst uh, in the passage about the road to Emmaus. And that also, um, I think about that too in terms of the Holy Spirit. They did not have the Holy Spirit within them to help them believe yet. They're kind of working on their own. They don't have that yes, that uh, the grace of the Holy Spirit within them to look at the Scripture and have it pop out like that. Um, so we're reading it where we already have that knowledge. Exactly. Right. So it doesn't seem. But even now, they did not know we may not have seen, yeah. but we we have this. Right. We believe, but we don't understand. There's right. A lot of things happen in our lives that we don't understand. Right. And we ask God to show us. We have to say. Lord, what are you, <laughs> very often, what are you doing? <laughs> I don't understand what you're doing right now. Yeah. Yeah. That. Um, there's a, one of the great theologians, uh, St. Anselm, talks about approaching theology and the study, the, 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 you know, thought about God and trying to understand through scripture what God is doing and has done. And he talks about it in terms of it being faith-seeking understanding. That we approach not with this rational, I'm going to know everything, I'm going to know everything, it's going to be logical, I'm going to, and then I'll believe it. I'm going to withhold belief until I fully understand it. And he says, no, it's the reverse. We approach, we approach um, Christianity and our faith um, first with faith and then uh, faith-seeking understanding, seeking to learn and understand more as we look at the scriptures. And that's exactly what John John did not understand. Peter did not understand. But John said that he believed. And let's look at Mary now. What does Mary do once, um, now that the disciples, the male disciples go back to their homes in verse 10, but Mary, oh Mary, Mary stands outside the tomb loudly crying. She's weeping and weeping and weeping. I think of her as being blinded by her grief. The world has ended for her. There is no hope. She is weeping, weeping so hard that she cannot even see what's going on around her. She can't even see the empty tomb, and she's not even open to the possibility that um, that something wonderful has happened, and not that this is another step of the stage of the tragedy. Um, so she doesn't even see. She sees the two angels in white. She doesn't even react to the two angels, the way we see everyone else in scripture reacting to angels. Everywhere else in scripture, everyone falls down and the angels have to say, don't be afraid, it's okay. <laughs> she doesn't fall down because she's so absorbed by her grief. Her grief has completely consumed her. And so, um, so they, they ask her, woman, why are you weeping? And she repeats her refrain, they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid, them, laid him. How many of you have experienced a trauma or a tragedy. I think of my greatest 
trauma and tragedy, which I won't put on, um, sorry, I won't put it on the recorder. I'll tell you after I turn it off um, if you really want to know. But it was devastating. I was, I think I was, how old was I? I would have been maybe 16. And um, you have this moment where you can't believe this is, I cannot believe this is happening to me. I cannot believe this is happening right now. And all I wanted to do was go, suddenly had this strong urge to dust as a 16-year-old. I was starting to dust my, I was like, okay, fixing the pillows, give me something to do because I can't process what's going on around me. I need something tangible to do with my hands. I need to go into the kitchen and do some dishes. I need to do this. I need to do that because I can't stop because if I stop, stop moving, and if I stop doing, then the reality of what has happened will be too overwhelming for me. And here she is so obsessed, really. She has one, a one-track mind. She is so upset over what she has seen happen to Jesus. And now this, this worst thing, even worse than what she saw yesterday, you know, two days ago. And, and she is so intent on the one thing she can do to make it better. The one thing she can do is to anoint his body for burial. Just give me something to do. I don't, and that is even, she is even bereft of that. She's been denied the ability to distract herself in the midst of her grief. Um, and so she's stuck there in her grief. She's inconsolable, weeping, weeping, weeping. And the angels say to her, woman, why are you weeping? And then she turns around and she sees Jesus, but she thinks that he's the gardener. And Jesus says to her, woman, why are you weeping? Isn't that exactly what um, the angel said to her? So we hear a refrain from Jesus, and Jesus is echoing the angels, trying to get her to hear it, maybe Gordon with a new voice, with his own voice, getting her to recognize his voice. And she still doesn't recognize him, and he asks her a very leading question. He doesn't say, what are you seeking? She's talking about a what. Where is the body of my Lord? What? I'm looking for this thing. Uh, although she does say, where is he? He says, whom are you looking for? He's trying to give her a little clue. <laughs> the one you're looking for is alive, is a person who, has, who is li- living again. Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, and this is in verse 15, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Three times she has said, just show me Let me just do what I came here to do. She is so upset. She's blinded by her grief. And Jesus says to her, Mary, isn't that exactly what... um, Well, first of all, let me just... Before he says Mary, it's also in the other Gospels we find out, and later on we'll find out too in this Gospel in the next chapter, there's something about Jesus' risen body that's a little different than his earthly body. You know, it's still physical. He eats the fish in Luke. He eats the fish in John. He's... Um, he's, there's, he's tangible. They hold on to him. Remember, Mary's going to hold on to him in a minute. And in Matthew's Gospel, the two women fall at his feet and hold on to you know, worship him. So he's tangible. He's physical. But there's something different about him that is hard to recognize, that don't quite perceive who he is. Um, and this happens three times that we know of in the Gospels. Here with Mary, then also in Luke's Gospel, remember on the road to Emmaus, they don't recognize him. Until, uh, they spent hours with him. They don't recognize him until he breaks the bread. And then also, we're going to see in chapter 21 that on the beach in Galilee, they don't know who it is 
until he tells them to put down their nets and cast some fish. And that's what Peter says. It's the Lord. It is him. Uh, But at first they don't recognize him. So there's something, she's blinded by her grief, but there's also something different about Jesus. But her blindness, the the scales fall from her eyes um, because she still recognizes his voice once he calls her name, only until he calls her name. That was really good, Gordon. Um, And this reflects what John has said earlier in chapter 10. You don't have to turn to it. I'm just going to read it. But in chapter 10, verses 3 and verse 5, Jesus is saying to his disciples, the sheep, he's talking about the good shepherd. He has just said, I am the good shepherd. Um, He says, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. He calls his sheep by name. He calls you and me by name. And there he calls Mary by name. And it's when he says her name that she recognizes him. She turns and she says, teacher. And apparently we don't see, John doesn't tell us that she's holding on to him, but she, she, she must just grab him. She's so overjoyed to see him. Um, she doesn't know what to do except just to exuberantly cling to him. And so when he says, don't touch me, what he's saying is, don't hold on to me. I've got, I've got things to do. It's not going to be quite the same as it was before, but I'm real. I'm, but just don't hold on to me just yet. And yeah. 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 And he will be, he'll be, he will be returning to the Father. Um, but he's not going just yet. Um, and he tells her, just as the other we hear in the other Gospels, go to the other disciples, to the, the brothers, and say to them um, that she has seen Jesus. And so she does. She obeys. She goes and she announces to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. Yes? Why did she leave? I know. I know. Wouldn't you want to just stay there forever? She's obeying the voice. She's obeying. She's obeying him. You know, I, that's the only thing I could say. I know, why would you leave? But, um, but she obeys. He tells her to leave. He tells her to leave and she obeys. But that's a good point. Wouldn't you want to just stay there forever? So Mary, too. Oh, not that one. I wish I had my Greek gospel. I, I think he, you know what, my, I don't have my Greek New Testament with me, but um, but the ESV will usually, where in the Greek New Testament it has the um, gender like inclusive, where it's men and women all together, plural, it'll put it in there. But, oh, but it would be, it might be just, no, 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 it might be brothers and sisters together because there isn't another option. When there's women all together, there's another option. You're right, it might be, might be brothers and sisters um, that he's talking about. But basically, he's saying, go tell the rest of the family. Um, don't, don't keep it to yourself. That's good news that he's risen. So Mary, she does not see him. She's blinded by her grief. But finally, she hears him. And she believes, doesn't she? She calls him Raboni. But she still doesn't understand. That's why she's clinging to him, and he's trying to help her understand. 
So there's seeing, there's hearing and believing as a result of seeing and hearing. The evidence bears witness to Jesus' resurrection. So for us, too, we don't get to see, we don't get to hear Jesus' voice um, in person. We hear him by the power of the Holy Spirit, but we don't get to hear the sound of his voice calling our name. Not yet. We will one day, but not yet. Um, And yet we're called to faith as well. And this is one of the things that we're going to see in our next passage. Um, Next week we're going to look at Thomas. And Thomas is not there that first Sunday, that first Easter Sunday when Jesus appears to the other disciples. And he demands touch. It's interesting that John includes sight and hearing and touch as ways of tangibly experiencing the risen Lord Jesus and knowing and believing in him and believing that he has risen from the dead. And um, one of the things that Jesus will say is he'll look out and say, blessed are those who have believed even though they haven't seen. And that blessing is for us um, that we don't get the opportunity in this life necessarily unless it's unless there's a miraculous vision. We don't get the opportunity to see and touch and hear the risen Jesus and yet we believe um, by faith and through the eyewitness account of these others they bear witness the cloths bear witness John bears witness Mary bears witness Peter will bear witness Paul bears witness they bear witness and their their testimony is reliable and that's one of the things that John talks about in his whole gospel remember that he, he, that bearing witness to who Jesus is is really important. That testimony, and that people can give testimony, but also things can give testimony and be like little clues along the road in the detective story to find out who is this man, Jesus. Well, he is um, the Word made flesh, as John tells us in the beginning. He's the Word made flesh who is God himself, God incarnate, who loves us so much that he would die and then who is vindicated um, through his resurrection. So he has risen for us um, and that our life, our new life, is um, in him, that through his resurrection we also have the hope of one day being raised from the dead like him. Um, We are unified with him in faith and so his resurrection is our resurrection too. It's the end of the story for death. Death um, still has sway in this lifetime yet we know because of Jesus' resurrection he is the first fruit of the resurrection that we will experience on the last day when our bodies are raised from the dead. And so we too are called to bear witness just like Mary. Mary is essentially the first apostle. Apostle means sent one, one sent out. And Jesus sends her, doesn't he? He sends her to go and to bear witness. And do you know that in in the first century, it's no small thing that um, women in the first century, Jewish women, according to Jewish law, were not allowed to be witnesses in court. Um, their testimony was considered unreliable. Um, so it's one more little last clue to show us that this resurrection of Jesus really happened. If they'd gotten together and got their stories all put together, all ship-shape, I guarantee you they would not have had a woman be the first person to see Jesus. They would not have had the empty tomb um, be uh, seen first by women because it would discredit um, the the truth they would see it as being well if we want people to believe that this happened we better make it um, unassailable in its truth in its veracity and or its perception of veracity and to do that they would have had men be the first to see the risen Lord Jesus and to see the empty tomb but the gospels all four of us tell us 
Mary Magdalene was there. She saw the risen Lord Jesus. Um, and so we too, like her, are called to go out and tell people what um, we believe and tell people, um, even though we haven't seen or heard um, firsthand, we continue to bear witness to Jesus and what he's done for us. Um, so let's pray. Oh, dear Lord Jesus, we thank you for conquering death on our behalf. We thank you, Lord, for um, for your glory, the glory of you risen from the dead on that new day, that first day of the new creation. And we thank you, Lord, that we get to be a part of the new creation that's inaugurated with your resurrection. And so we ask, Lord, even as we go out from here today and we might experience still some grief and sorrow um, or we might still see sadness in our midst we might experience our own sin or the sin of others and be burdened by it lord jesus would you lift our burdens through the truth of your atoning death and resurrection that um, one day every tear will be wiped away from our faces and we will rise to new life in you so bring that new life into our lives today in little ways like um, little signs of spring Uh, bring us hope bring us courage uh, and increase our faith we ask For your glory's sake, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.